This morning we're going to go to Romans chapter 14 again. Romans 14. And as you're turning there, let me just say thank you. I appreciate the card and the gift and the expression of love that uh, you all give me, not just at Christmas, but every week. You know, that's one of the reasons why I look so forward to coming here, because um, it's getting to be with my family, literally. You know, this is the family of God. We are all together. We are part of the body of Christ, and I love each one of you. You are very special to me in a lot of ways, so thank you again. In Romans chapter 14, we started looking at this last week. Paul is expounding a little bit on Christian liberty, and in this chapter, as we began to see last week, there's two specific issues that he addresses. Number one, dietary laws or eating of meat specifically, and then number two, the keeping of holy days. And it's not so much for us about whether we follow the Old Testament dietary laws or whether we keep the feasts that are outlined in the Old Testament. The principles are there for us in how we live our lives and how we um, consider others in how we live our lives. And then also in what we use to determine how we're going to live, and specifically in this case, and how we will celebrate different holidays. So there's a broad principle here of Christian liberty But Christian liberty is not based on what we can do or what we're allowed to do or what we think is good for us. It really has to come down to Scripture, and that's what I tried to explain last week in answering the question, should we celebrate Christmas as the church? And it really is Paul's answer in verse 5. He says, let each one of us be convinced in your own mind. And so that's why it's important for us to look at Scripture in answering that question. And today we're going to ask the question, how should we celebrate if we choose to celebrate? How should we celebrate Christmas? So let's read together Romans 14, the first part of it. We're going to read down through verse 12, as we did last week, just to get a little review and context for the passage that we're going to focus on today. But starting at verse 1, Romans 14 says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. For who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it to the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he does not regard it. He that eateth Eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not, to the Lord he giveth eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, whether we die, we die unto the Lord, whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? 
Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let's take a minute and pray, and then we'll look at this passage specifically this morning. Father, thank you again for your word and the things that you teach us in it. We know that it's truth. We know that it is from you that you have inspired every word of it, and that every part of it, as you've told us, is profitable for us to learn from. And so, Lord, as we embark upon this passage today that concerns our Christian liberty, and specifically as we look at that liberty in the context of celebrating Christmas, Lord, I pray that you would give us principles to live by, to practice in our lives, so that we truly might be honoring in your sight and might give you the honor that you deserve through even those things. And so, Lord, teach us, we pray. Send your spirit among us. Open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us. And, Lord, give me strength of body and voice and mind, and I pray that you would fill me with your spirit so that I might be able to proclaim boldly your truth and we might be challenged by you today. And, Lord, we want to hear from you. And so just prepare us now and do your work, and we'll give you glory for all that you do in us and through us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the opening of the chapter, opening chapter of Charles Dickens' famous story, A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge is visited in his counting house by his nephew, and his nephew wishes him a Merry Christmas, and then right after that there ensues a discussion between the two about keeping Christmas. And at the conclusion of that discussion, Scrooge finally says, You keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. And his nephew replies, but you don't keep it. Okay? But I think what Scrooge has said there, in a sense, is kind of become the default in our culture about celebrating Christmas. And they've adopted that idea that you keep it in your way, I'll keep it in mine. And even among believers, it is that way. You keep it in your way, I'll keep it in mine. And so the question comes up, all right, how should we? If we're going to celebrate Christmas, how should we celebrate Christmas? And that's what we're going to try to answer today from Scripture and give you principles, not specific policies or practices that you have to do or practice, but principles to guide us in answering that question. But, you know, as far as believers are concerned, it's not just about what we think is appropriate. I mean, many of us celebrate Christmas with large family celebrations and gatherings. Many celebrate by going to special events, some by going to church, some by traveling and doing different things. Most people will put up some kind of Christmas decorations in their home. Other take, uh, other people take a more minimalistic approach and, and keep it simple. <clears throat> But most people will celebrate Christmas in some way. And according to studies done recently, probably close to 90% or more of Americans will celebrate the holiday. But studies have found in surveys that only about 75% or less of those that celebrate do so as a religious holiday. It's something else, just a time off from work or whatever. And so they keep it in their own way. Many people in celebrating Christmas refer to the spirit of Christmas. 
And if you turn on Hallmark or some of these other Christmas movies, that's the, the, the foundational principle or the big focus of those movies is keeping the spirit of Christmas. Okay, And in fact, Charles Dickens, at the end of his tale of A Christmas Carol, shows that Scrooge changes. Remember, he's against Christmas, against keeping it at the beginning. But at the end, it describes Scrooge, and he says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. And according to the author, he does, because in the following, in the, the, the uh, final paragraphs of that story, he says, and Scrooge knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. So the Christmas spirit is kind of the focus of our culture. You see it on TV. You see it in the decorations. Thank you. You see it in how people keep Christmas. And a lot of it, most of it, probably comes more from literature and from the culture than it does from Scripture, even for Christians. And I want you to think about, as we go through this passage in Romans 14, some specific verses here, why do we do the things that we do? Is it because culture has influenced us? Is it because that's the way it's been done? Is it because, oh, that's fun and that's enjoyable? It's a good time with family. Okay, those are good reasons, but it shouldn't be the substance of why we do things. Now, Referring to Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, that was published back in 1843 in England. It didn't take many years for the influence from that to really change how people celebrated in England and even in the United States as that story became more and more popular. About 20 years before that, in about 1823, Clement Moore published a poem called The Night Before Christmas or A Visit from St. Nicholas. And that poem had a a very profound effect on America's, especially America's, idea of Santa Claus and his involvement in Christmas and his major part that became a major part of our celebration of Christmas in America specifically. And so since about the early to mid-1800s, the American idea of celebrating Christmas has really been founded in showing goodwill to people, being kind to people, and remembering to be good because there's an all-knowing, all-seeing, jolly old elf who's going to reward us if we are good people. Now, if you think about that, that sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel. If we are good, if we do good deeds, if we treat each other nicely, God's going to make us healthy wealthy, lots of friends, give us all the things that we want. That's the prosperity gospel. And we see that in our modern version of Santa Claus. Now, Santa Claus, the person, came from St. Nick, who was a real person, by the way, and he embodied that spirit because he sacrificed and gave away his own personal fortune in trying to help poor people. Okay, I'm not saying that's a wrong thing, but if that's all that not just Christmas, but Christianity is to us, and if that's the reason we celebrate and do the things we do is to embody the spirit of Christmas and make other people feel good, make ourselves feel good, then we've missed the point. 
Now, last week I discussed whether we, whether we should celebrate Christmas in the first place or not. And from Romans 14, we saw in other passages and the substance of history and from Scripture, I think there's enough substance to give us that we can celebrate it with a good conscience. We should be fully convinced in our own mind. Okay? And so there's sufficient substance in Scripture to give us. And so Paul says we have to have that substance to work from. We must come to a conclusion. And remember, his words were more of a legal argument in court. Do you have enough evidence to bring forth enough substance to put forth to, to kind of back up why you do the things you do or why you celebrate in the first place? And so we come to the conclusion, if we've done our homework, all right, yes, I think, and I'm saying this from my perspective, yes, I think there's enough substance historically and scripturally that we can celebrate Christmas, and we should, possibly, as a church. But we don't come to just a conclusion. We have to have a biblical conviction about it. And that's from the truth of Scripture. And so we come to this second question, which is equally as important. How should we celebrate, then, Christmas, if we are to celebrate it? And in fact, how should we celebrate any holiday for that matter if we're to celebrate it? And so we're going to come back to Romans 14 and find some principles that will help us in answering that question about how we should celebrate. <clears throat> I want you to go back to, to verse 6 specifically because Paul talks about regarding the day, and that basically is making one day different or special than every other day, and that's how we treat holidays. If we we regard the day. And so we're going to use that phrase. And so in verse 6 through verse 9, Paul says, He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And I want you to pay attention to that second phrase. If you regard the day, you regard it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. In other words, we're keeping it or we're not keeping it. We're celebrating or we're not celebrating because of God, not because of me. And we celebrate it for the Lord and to the Lord, not because of me. Or we don't celebrate it for the Lord and to the Lord. And that is a key principle that we have to get a hold of. I'm going to focus on that through most of my message today. To the Lord. That's the whole point. Okay? And if it's not done to the Lord, we're really wasting our time. Going on in verse 7. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the second part of verse 6, He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. He that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Same principle applies there. Eating meat for the Jews, for many of them, they wouldn't eat any meat because they didn't know if it was sacrificed to idols or not, you know, not being in their, really in their own culture here at this time. And so many people just didn't eat meat. And Paul says, well, if you have a conviction... If you really have sought the Lord on this and you have a conviction about eating meat, fine, don't eat meat, but do it to the Lord, not for yourself. And he goes on, he says in verse 7, For none of us lives to himself, no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live to the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. And then in verse 9 he says, For this purpose or for this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the living and the dead. In other words, everything we do in life should be to the Lord. And these convictions about holidays or about dietary laws, they should be to the Lord, from the Lord, for the Lord. 
giving him honor in all of that. And so as far as holidays are concerned, Paul clearly states if you regard the day, if you keep the holiday, you are to regard it to the Lord. And this phrase to the Lord means in the, the, the language that Paul uses here to recognize and acknowledge the supremacy of God. That's the word Lord, the supreme one, the one who rules. And so it's God who has the priority here. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's established everything through creation. He's the one that's in control of our lives. He is our king. And so what we do, we do to him and for him. Honoring him. The ESV, I think, says honoring the Lord. Okay, giving him the honor he deserves. So basically, Paul's saying that in any holiday you celebrate, it should be done to honor God, focusing on him as the reason and the substance of why you celebrate. So it's not, well, you know, we'll include God. It has to be all about him and focused on him and for him and to him. Now, when the angels announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds, what was their closing anthem? You read this in Luke 2. They said what? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. What's interesting is, although they're announcing to the shepherds in Luke 2 about the birth of our Savior, God come in flesh, who are they giving glory to? Glory to God in the highest. They didn't single out Jesus Christ, the baby. He received glory, he received honor, obviously because he was God come in flesh, but it was glory to God in the highest. So it was the Godhead as a whole, giving glory and focusing on honoring God. Now, I want you to think about that in terms of other holidays. We'll get to Christmas in a minute, but think about other holidays that we celebrate and how we honor God or focus on the Lord. In in celebrating Thanksgiving, for instance, We, as believers, focus on that as a time to praise and thank God for his goodness, for all the things that he's done for us, for his providential intervention in our lives. So we take one day to celebrate and to focus on thanking God, giving honor to him. That's what it should be, by the way. And if you don't practice it that way and just do whatever else, I think you're wasting the opportunity, especially as a believer. So Thanksgiving, we give honor to God through our thanksgiving and praise. What about Easter? This is a time when believers focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the turning point of history, really, when Jesus came out of the grave because he made possible at that point the salvation of all mankind and eternal life being offered to us, which never could be done before. It could be offered, it could not be granted, but because Jesus rose from the dead, Now we know that that can be fulfilled, okay? And so we give honor, we give glory to God, we give thanks to God, remembering the death and resurrection of our Lord at Easter. Think about your birthday even. If you celebrate birthdays, that's an opportunity to thank God for another year, another year that he has brought you through, that he has kept you alive. He sustained you, he's blessed you. So it shouldn't be about you. It's a time to focus on the Lord. And that's what Paul's saying here. If you're going to celebrate a holiday, it has to be focused on God. Because we do it for him. Now, you go through other, questions, other holidays. I mean, 
should we celebrate those holidays? And if we should, then how should we should celebrate? Paul says, how, whatever se- holiday you celebrate, it has to be first and foremost to the Lord. For him. Giving him the glory in it. And so when we come to celebrating Christmas, this is the time of year that we as believers focus on the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The incarnation of God in flesh. When God became a man. Now, that was a miracle. And we would not have a Savior if Jesus did not come as a man to earth to be able to take our place as the perfect man. So I think we can celebrate the day when God sent his son to become a man, when God came to dwell among us. You know, John 1 says, he became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the ultimate purpose of God's redemption, being fulfilled right there. Isaiah tells us the entire event of Jesus being born of a virgin was a sign from God about his promise of a Messiah and the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus Christ. The day he was born, that was God's fulfillment of the promises he had made all through the New Te- all through the Old Testament. When the angel Gabriel announces to Mary in Luke 1 that she would be the earthly mother of the Messiah, remember, he reminds her that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. So there's a lot to celebrate about Christmas, but it's about him. It's about the miracle that God did that night when God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so all the glory in our, res- in, in our celebration of Christmas has to be to God. All the honor in Christmas goes to God. The focus of Christmas has to be on Jesus Christ. And anything that distracts us from that, Paul basically infers here, is a waste of time. Now, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I don't think there's any other holiday that has as much scriptural truth embedded in it as Christmas does. I mean, you can read Old Testament prophecies about the birth of Christ, about the millennial kingdom of Christ, about the ministry of Christ. You come into Luke chapter 2, the entire chapter almost is dedicated to his birth. Chapter 1, half of it is dedicated to the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. Go back into Matthew, we have the genealogy of the birth of Jesus Christ. We have the wise men who came to visit Jesus at his birth. There's all kinds of scripture about the birth of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of scriptural truth that is focused on the birth of Christ. And from there we get the substance of how we celebrate. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses, verse 31, you're probably familiar with this. Paul says this. Here's a principle generally that we should apply in our Christian lives. He says, whether therefore ye eat or drink, the most mundane things of life, eating and drinking, things we do three times a day if we're normal people, okay? Some of us do it more, some of us do it less, okay? But he says, whether you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. Giving God the glory, honoring him in how we live our lives. So Paul's not giving us a new commandment here about holidays. He's just extending the principle of glorifying God in our lives to, specifically, the celebration of holidays. And so God has to be at the center 
of everything we do, including how we celebrate Christmas. So based on Scripture, we wouldn't have Christmas without Jesus Christ. And so if we leave Jesus Christ out of the celebration or any part of the celebration of Christmas, then we're violating this command by God to honor him, to give him glory in everything. So the question here is this. As we celebrate Christmas, is Jesus at the center of your celebration? Is he the substance of everything you do in celebrating this holiday? Now, you probably have all come across this campaign, Put Christ Back in Christmas, okay? I mean, it's online. You see it um, all over the place in churches. Okay, put Christ back in Christmas. Now, here's what I have a problem with, with that phrase, okay? You don't have Christmas without Christ. There's no such thing. Christmas, the word I explained last week, Christ, mas, is Latin for is come or to come. Christ is come. That's what Christmas is. And so if you take Christ out of it, there's no Christmas. So we really can't put Christ back in Christmas. He is the substance of Christmas. If people are celebrating some holiday apart from Christ, it's not Christmas. They can call it Christmas, but it's not about Christ Jesus. And so without Christ, what we have is just a secular festival of commercialism and greed. And now we're back to Scrooge, right? You celebrate it in your way, and I'll celebrate it in mine. End of story. Even if you try to keep the spirit of Christmas, right? Being kind to each other, giving gifts, spreading goodwill among people. I mean, that's really kind of embodies the spirit of Christmas, right? That really comes down to nothing more than a humanitarian effort to demonstrate the goodness of man, which really we can't do because none of us are good, Romans 3 tells us. See, whenever you try to perpetuate good deeds or good works apart from God and apart from giving credit to God, Isaiah calls that filthy rags. No matter how good it might look, no matter how much goodwill it might spread, no matter how good it helps other people, If it's done apart from Jesus Christ, it's all filthy rags. And so if we celebrate in the spirit apart from Jesus Christ, then our celebration is not of Christmas, it's something else. If you try to celebrate any aspect of Christmas apart from a focus on Jesus Christ, you've defeated the very purpose of celebrating in the first place. We celebrate because of Jesus Christ. I mean, literally, we're celebrating him, not just the fact that he came. We're celebrating Jesus Christ, and that's what Paul is saying here. We do it for the Lord. We regard the day to the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Let me just read this for you. It says, talking about Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, For by him, by Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Okay, so far, that passage basically tells us, first of all, Jesus is God. Second of all, Jesus is 
part of that Godhead that created everything that we see and everything that we don't see. So it all comes from him, but it was also all made for him. So look around. Anything that you see, including people, are part of the creation of God that was made by him and for him. And Paul goes on in verse 17. He says, he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That's his eternality going back before creation ever happened. And verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That's his resurrection. And then he uses this phrase to describe Christ, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now that's the purpose of our lives as believers, that in all things Christ might have the preeminence, the first place, the highest priority, all the honor, all the glory. The word preeminence literally means to be first or to be the one who is exalted above everything else. And so the whole purpose of creation from the very beginning was to exalt Jesus Christ, to make him first. And it was to show us that he is first. We don't make him first. He is first. He is the exalted one. And everything that we see and everything that we do is now ordained by God for that purpose. So according to Colossians 1, Jesus is the whole purpose for creation. He created it for himself. He created it so that all who would see it would be pointed to him. Romans 1 tells us that. That we see God in the invisible things of creation and in the things that we see. We see God. And since the celebration of that phrase, that in a celebration of Christmas is included in that phrase that in all things he might have the preeminence, that means the focus of everything we do in celebrating Christmas should give him the first place. And so the question is, is that how we celebrate Christmas? Do we give him first place? Is he the substance of how we celebrate? So that's the big principle that Paul gives us here. Do we do it to the Lord? Do we celebrate all the things that we do in celebrating Christmas? Do we do it to point to God, to give him the glory and the honor? So everything that we choose to do in celebrating this holy day should be focused on making known the truth and the majesty of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's Christmas for us. And so he should be the highlight of it. He should be the center of it. Because we celebrate because of Jesus Christ. Not with him or adding him in. It's because of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says this. He goes on. He says, it's not for ourselves. We don't do it for ourselves. Verse 7 through 9. For none of us liveth to himself. No man dieth to himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So do we do it because we belong to him? Or do we do it for ourselves? Because we enjoy the process. We enjoy the celebration. We get good feelings from it. We have great memories from it. 
Is that the focus of our celebration of Christmas? Because we get something out of it. And if that's our motivation, then Paul says, that's not the right reason. Paul says here, we're not here. We don't even exist for ourselves. Okay, our lives came from God. He created us. He put us here. And we are here to fulfill his purpose in our lives. And so we should be here to fulfill his purpose in celebrating whatever holidays we choose to celebrate, including Christmas. We fulfill the purpose of God. Now, what is the purpose of God for a believer? For the church as a whole, one who is part of the body of Christ, we are to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, the ministry of Jesus Christ was to do what? The angel said that to bring good news to the world. That good news is that salvation is now available through him. We're not stuck in this sinful, earthly, cursed life. We have the option and we have the availability now of having true salvation through the one who was born that first Christmas night. But the message of Christmas is about Jesus Christ, and as we celebrate, then our celebration should focus on bringing that message out, because that's what we've been called to, to give that message to the world. So if we take our Christmas celebration and wrap it all up in ourselves and our family and don't include anybody else and nothing about the Word of God becoming flesh, nothing about a Savior who was born that day going out to anybody else, then we've defeated the very purpose for which God put us here on this earth. And we've really defeated the purpose of celebrating Christmas in the first place. The angels came and announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds because they wanted them to know the good news of a Savior who was born. Christmas is not for us. Christmas is to accomplish God's purpose through us. And so our celebration of Christmas shouldn't be about us. Now, I understand that there's a lot of traditions, a lot of things that families do, that people do every year, because it's just become part of our tradition, our celebration. And, you know, it brings back memories. Many of them hold very dear memories to us. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Especially Christmas is past that we celebrated with uh, relatives who may have passed or loved ones who may have passed away. Okay, there are dear memories to us, and I think God wants us to understand and, and rejoice in those things. But again, those memories are not just about the people, okay? It's the blessings and the things that God did through those people. What did God bring into our lives because of those people? See, it all goes back to God. So there's nothing wrong with, you know, reliving through traditions, those memories. But my question is this, how many of those traditions are motivated by remembering Christ specifically? How many of the things that we do start with Jesus Christ? Or do we plan these traditions or do these traditions and, oh yeah, we got to include Christ? And so he's an afterthought that we add in. How do our traditions point to him Bring our minds back to him, to focus on him, to remind us of his character, to remind us of his life and ministry, to remind us of his death and resurrection, the reason he came and was born in the first place. How many of our traditions focus on that or stem from that? 
Now, in our study of Ecclesiastes, which we're doing on Wednesdays, we're about through chapter 4. And so far, the message of Ecclesiastes is this from Solomon. No matter how you approach life or no matter what you accomplish in life, despite how you choose to live life, anything you do apart from God is going to end up with just emptiness and vanity. It goes nowhere. It accomplishes nothing. It's just an endless cycle of useless activity apart from God. Now, let's apply that to Christmas because the principle is very applicable here. Anything we do in celebrating Christmas apart from Christ yields nothing but emptiness and vanity. And we may enjoy the process. We may have fun while we're doing the things that we do. But it really does nothing for us, and it does nothing to further the kingdom, which is why we're here. So when you think through the things that are the traditions you enjoy during the Christmas season, how many of them are really done apart from God? We do them because it's a cultural thing. We enjoy the process. You know, it's a festive time. Makes us feel good. Brings back good memories. Good. But are they done apart from God? Is Christ even in your thoughts while you participate? They may be fun, they may be family-centered and full of good memories, could be times of giving and receiving, but do they have a focus on the one who was given by God himself? And Solomon basically says, well, anything you do apart from that is emptiness, vanity. And that applies to how we celebrate Christmas. So you can't say that you're celebrating Christmas in any traditions that you do unless Christ really is the substance of that celebration. Not an add-in, not an afterthought. The substance with the focus. So does that mean that everything we do is vain and empty? No. Because the key is what Paul says here. Do we do it to the Lord? Are we doing it for him? Accomplishing his purpose? making him known as we celebrate. We are to exalt Christ in our celebration and in our traditions. Now, I want to take you back to the Old Testament for just a minute to give you a principle of how we can apply this in our celebration, okay? And I'm not going to give you a broad scope of, here, do this and this and this and this and this and don't do these things. Okay, I want to give you principles, Back in Joshua chapter 3 and 4, what we read about is after the Israelites had wandered 40 years in the wilderness, they came to the edge of the Jordan River, ready to cross into the promised land that they had been waiting for for 40 years. And the day had finally come. And God commanded the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant and to walk down to the edge of the Jordan River. And as their feet touched the river, the river parted. And the priests would walk down into the middle and stand in the middle of the river, and all of Israel would cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land on dry ground, just like they did the Red Sea. Okay? You can read that in Joshua chapter 3. In Joshua chapter 4, all of Israel is on the other side now. The priests are still standing in the middle, and God tells uh, Joshua, who's leading Israel at this time, 
He says, I want you to pick one man from each tribe, 12 men, tell them to go back into the riverbed where the priests are standing, and each one of them pick up a big stone. And then I want you to bring it up to the shore on the other side and build a pillar out of those stones. And you're like, okay, whatever. He didn't tell them to offer a sacrifice. He said, just leave a pillar there. And he gave them the reason why. He said, I want that pillar to be there for future generations. And when those children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren come by and see that pillar, I want them to ask this question. What mean these stones? What is this? Why, why is this here? Why, why did they put that there? That was God's purpose. To make people ask the question and to remind them of what God had done. And he told them, when the children ask, then you're to tell them of all the great things that God has done for you in delivering you and fulfilling his promise, providing for you. But it starts with that question, what mean these stones? What we do at Christmas is a great opportunity for people to ask that question, what mean these stones, especially our children? This is what we practice in our household. When we do things at Christmas, that principle is the substance behind what we do for the most part. Let me give you some examples, okay? A Christmas tree. There's a lot of debate about Christmas trees. Should we have a Christmas tree in celebrating? And a lot of that comes back to the origins because that is questionable at best about the origins of the Christmas tree. There's not a lot of historical substance. People use pieces of history to try to put together where do they come from. Many historians tell us that the Christmas tree began as a pagan tradition back as early as the 4th century when European pagans regularly decorated their homes with branches of evergreen fir trees in order to bring color and light into their dull winter homes. Okay, Romans also used pine branches for decoration during the festival of Saturnalia, which I explained last week, a very godless, heathen, immoral celebration. Okay, but they used pine branches to decorate for that. And it was in honor of the god Saturn, false god, obviously. Others will say, well, the origin of the Christmas tree, as far as the church is concerned, goes back to the 16th century when devout Christians brought decorated trees into their homes. And some people will point to Martin Luther. The tradition says Martin Luther was wandering out in the forest one night and looked up And through the branches of a pine tree, he saw the stars and was just overwhelmed with the majesty of God. And so he cut down a small pine tree and brought it into his house and put candles on the branches to show his children a little bit of what he experienced out in the woods and to teach them about the majesty of God and that God is light. That's the tradition. Well, regardless of the origin of the Christmas tree, the question is, why do you use it? If you do, why do you put it up in your house? Because it looks pretty. Because that's what we put the presents under. That's not a good enough reason. What mean these stones? What means this tree? Okay? Here's what we use the tree in our house to teach our children. Trees are part of God's creation. And according to Romans 1, all of creation is to point us to him, the creator. The pine tree, specifically, is in the shape of a triangle. And it reminds us of the Trinity, the three persons of God wrapped up in one God. 
The pine tree also points to heaven, which all creation should do because that's where God is exalted on his throne. The pine tree or the evergreen tree stays green throughout the year, reminding us of God's eternal state, his eternality, and the fact that he offers us eternal life through Jesus Christ. We put lights on the tree, just like Martin Luther, to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world and to remind us also that he has called us to be lights in this world, to bring truth to the darkness. If you put a star at the top, it will remind you that the star led the wise men to Jesus, who, by the way, were diligently seeking him, Matthew tells us. And so the star reminds us If we are to be wise in our lives, we should be diligently seeking the Savior. If you put an angel on top, it reminds you of the angels, God's messengers, who proclaim God's glory at the Savior's birth, and that we, as God's messengers, have that sole purpose in our lives as well, to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. The ornaments on the tree and the gifts under the tree remind us that God gave us the greatest gift in Jesus Christ and that he will continue to give us all good gifts from his hand. And remember that it was on a tree that Jesus eventually died. He was crucified for us because of our sins. My kids, and some some of you may remember, one of the very first Christmases I, I preached in this church, we had a Christmas tree right here on the floor, and I said, when you look at that tree, remember that tree. See, there's so much just in this one item of decoration that we use at Christmas that can be used to teach about our Lord. The question is, do you? Is that why you have it? What mean these stones? Or is it just another decoration because that's what the culture has done and that's what we enjoy and we do all of this because? It's an opportunity to answer the question, what mean these stones? And you can go through a lot of other things and traditions, but you have to ask that question. Is it for the Lord? Do we do it to the Lord to give him glory? I mean, you can go wreaths. Wreaths originally were made out of holly. They're circles. They can be pointed out about the eternal love that God has for us, the unending love that he has for us. The holly represents the thorns of the cross that Jesus wore. The red berries represent the blood. I'm sorry, the thorns of the crown that Jesus wore. The red berries represent the blood that came from his head. Okay, there's pictures in all of it. But are we paying attention to the message or are we just enjoying the decoration? Candy canes. Every year we have a tradition. We read the story of the candy cane, you know, created by supposedly a Christian man. He made it in the shape of a J to remind us of Jesus. It's made like a shepherd's hook to remind us that he's our good shepherd. The white candy represents the the washing of of white as snow that Jesus can do for our sins. The red stripes remind us that by his stripes we are healed. I I mean, there's messages in all of it. But are we proclaiming that message? That's the question. Everything that we use in celebration of Christmas should point to the good news of a Savior born as a man, born to die, so that we might be able to have the opportunity to truly live. And the only reason that we're alive in the first place is to give God the glory that he deserves. 
And so all of that comes into our celebration of Christmas. Is that how we celebrate? Is he the focus? And not just first place, but the substance of it. There's enough, if there's nothing in your traditions or decorations that can be used to point to God, then maybe it shouldn't be a part of your celebration of Christmas. Because Paul says, we are to do it, regard the day, to the Lord. Not for us, not for our enjoyment, not for all the pleasure and fun that it brings, not even for the good memories, to the Lord. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whether you celebrate Christmas, do all to the glory of God. So our Christmas celebration shouldn't center on having fun or getting gifts or even the spirit of the holiday. We have one purpose in life, to give God the glory. And that should be accomplished in this holiday as well. In everything that we do in regards to it. So as you celebrate our Lord's birth this year, don't let this event get crowded to the back of your minds. And when I talk about event, I'm talking about the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ and his purpose for coming. Don't let that become second place. Get pushed out of your thoughts because of all the stuff that's going on around you. Don't keep Christ in Christmas. Make Christmas about him because it is about him. And remember that Christ is the substance of the holiday. Now, with all of that said, like I said, I'm not going to give you you have to do this, you have to do this, you don't, don't do these, don't do these. That's between you and God, and that was Paul's point here. Let each one of us be fully convinced in our own mind. Are we honoring the Lord in how we keep Christmas? Is it focused on him? Does he get the glory? Or is it just because we enjoy what we do? Now, we have a perfect opportunity to make Christ the very center of our celebration of Christmas this year because... Christmas falls on a Sunday. And if we're going to celebrate Christmas to the Lord, what better way to do that than in church with the body of Christ, worshiping and celebrating together God's wonderful gift. So with that said, we can say praise God for the remembrance of the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas. And as we praise God, I look forward to seeing you all next week to worship him together and celebrate Christmas the right way. We're going to stop there. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you again for your love in sending your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you did it because you had a great plan to accomplish. You wanted to offer redemption through us, and He, Jesus Christ was the only way that that could be done. And so, Lord, we thank you for his birth. We also thank you for his sacrifice, for his death and his resurrection. In him, we find our Savior, our only Savior, our Messiah, our Lord. And so, Lord, as we remember the holiday this year, may we keep it focused on him. May he be the center of all of our celebration. May you receive glory in all that we do, because that's what you've called us to. So, Lord, teach us how to live and how to celebrate. Thank you now for this lesson. Help us to go with this truth ingrained in our minds and be doers and not hearers only. 
so that you might receive the glory and praise in everything. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn number 101 is our closing hymn, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown, describes the purpose.